Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. And today I'm sitting down with Jude Leon, who is the Head of Integrated Marketing Communications at Australian Red Cross Lifeblood. Um, Jude is charged with developing marketing programs that help drive consumer blood donation in order to maintain the national blood supply. And to be honest, I can't think of many more Mm. important marketing jobs than that. If I'm honest with you, so I'm very pleased to have finally been able to find the time to, to have you on the podcast. So welcome, Jude, and thank you very much for joining me. Hey, David, thank you so much for inviting me along. You're more than welcome. So let's um, talk because you, like many people I interview on this podcast, you have a really interesting background, mm. um, covering um, corporate a lot of corporate experience and a, a lot of um, I'm going to call it not for profit experience mm-hmm. with with um, with with lifeblood um you've worked in a number of categories including retail energy finance and now of course um you with you with lifeblood culturally and operationally what are the similarities and differences you've found and, and how have you been able to apply your corporate experience to the work you're doing now it's a really interesting question and i get asked this quite a lot um by different people i i think sometimes the perception around not-for-profit is that it's a very huggy, warm, easygoing, mm-hmm. loose environment that every time someone makes a blood donation, a bell rings <laughs> and we leap up and hug each other. Uh, it, it, you know, and maybe that was my You're going to destroy my illusions now because that's exactly <laughs> what I thought. That was um, possibly my perception before yeah. I started working at Lifeblood. I think... Uh, however, I, I, Lifeblood is um, the the first and only not-for-profit I've worked for. I've um, been with Lifeblood almost five years, which is the longest I've been in any job. So that's um, testament probably to what a great brand and organisation mm. it is. Uh, I think... Um, uh, that, that was probably my perception before I went to Lifeblood and really uh, I was very surprised when I got there at the sheer complexity of the organisation. I think first and foremost, Lifeblood has an incredibly complex supply chain when it comes to blood management and uh, before I'd worked there, like many people, I probably thought of it colloquially in my head as a blood bank Mm. and this idea that people donate blood and I didn't really know what happened to it and how long it lasted and how it was used and how it all worked. But blood donation, uh, whole blood only lasts 42 days and we're responsible for the safe and secure supply of blood and blood products all all around Australia and that creates incredibly complex supply chain model uh, where we're every day uh, in our marketing team looking at the number of appointments, collections, new donors coming in in each state, in mm. each centre, um, making sure that you know, this whole big machine is working smoothly. So what I would say is ultimately, it's, ultimately it's probably one of the most complex organisations I've ever 
worked for. And that includes things like banking and energy, which I thought was the most mm. confusing and complex um, organisation. But uh, Lifeblood is really complex. So I think really I suppose what I've learned from corporate experience is it translates incredibly well over into not-for-profit. <coughs> it's... Um, it's it's not a simple business. So I think, you know, we at Lifeblood have a marketing team with people from all sorts of industries, a lot of people who've worked um, in services, uh, and those skills translate really well across because we need to manage a lot of complexity in the business. Uh, we have brand building challenges to, um, to contend with all of the time. So... I actually don't think it's that much different mm. at the end of the day. You know, the one thing that's different, I suppose, is the purpose we have and, and that's the lovely difference. Um, much better barbecue conversations <laughs> for me than, than when I was working for energy and banks. I want to come and talk about that mm. in a minute, actually. Um, but picking up on one of the things you said, as you were talking there about complexity, I think, mm. I mean, the thing that crossed my mind is that also relative to other not-for-profits, you have a very complex or a very challenging mm. transaction that mm. you're trying to, I mean, you, yep. it, giving bl blood is very different from giving money. Um, and that, you know, from a marketing point of view, um, mm -hmm. your, your lower funnel, for want of a better term, your lower funnel activity, your, your, you, you mentioned sort of looking at the appointments every day. Um, that must place a lot of pressure on the on the marketing team, I guess, that that layer as well. Yeah, it Absolutely. It's we're, we're asking for something very specific. And yes, whilst it's giving in general, we're not asking for people's money. We're asking for their time and we're asking for them to donate their blood, which is a very um, physical and personal mm. act for people. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, the great thing is we don't have competitors. No one else in Australia collects blood. So we often get asked, well, who are your competitors? And we, we do look at what other charities and not-for-profits are doing, but ultimately our competitors are time. Yeah, share of time, right? That's exactly, cool. time because it's a commitment to go and, you know, not that it takes very long. I'll say it's not a very big commitment, uh, but, you know, it's an hour or so out of someone's day and it's also a physical commitment. So, you know, the barriers that we really need to overcome are people's hesitation, anxiety and, and nervousness mm. around that. So absolutely, it's it's something we think about all of the, all the time. Uh, you know, all marketers, I think, think about behaviour change and what um, the drivers are and what the barriers are for people. Obviously for us, um, some of the big barriers are fear of needles, not something we can overcome mm. with everyone. Uh, that general anxiety around what's going to happen to me. I think another big barrier is just the time it takes um, getting to the centre. So we're always looking for ways to try and motivate people uh, to think about it more. And certainly in marketing, we work very closely with our donor centre staff as well. And, and that for us as a lifeblood brand is very important, the experience that the donors are having in the centre because, like, again, with any business, you can have the best marketing, the best ads, the best digital experience in the world, but if the experience someone has in the centre isn't great, then, well, 
your marketing is really no good because yeah. that's the uh, experience people are going to going to take away with them. So I think like many businesses, we're really trying to think about that holistic customer experience. Mm. So you know, marketing isn't just uh, you know isn't just the engine that gets people into the centre. We need to work holistically and collaboratively with our donor centre staff yes. to make make that a unified and wonderful experience for people. Yeah, and uh, I mean that's it works. It has to work on all sorts of levels for mm. sure. Mm. Um, are you are you closely involved? So you must be. How does that translate into the day to day with your with your donor centres? Um, there must be a sort of joint input, I guess, into in, almost into local area and in in store, for want of a better word, experience. I mean, it's a, yeah. really really important. Yeah, we're connected in lots of different ways in lots of different projects, but uh, you know, I think we talked about purpose earlier, and that's probably something that will keep coming up in our conversation because it's really important to all of us at Lifeblood and I think the one thing that unifies us is the donor mm. and and trying to view everything through the lens of the donor, be it how they're receiving messages from us through our marketing channels, how uh, what sort of experience they're having, trying to make their appointment, uh, you know, to check their stats through our digital channels through to being in the donor centre and the mm. experience they have there. So we, we've done lots of user journeys um, like many organisations yeah. have and I think, um, I think you know, we are getting better at an organisation at stitching that together cross-functionally. But mm. ultimately everything has to be through the perspective of the donor and to benefit them to solve any problems or challenges they may have to make things better and easier for them. And I think as an organisation we're very unified on that mm. purpose. And, look, I love I love the whole, the, the idea that you've put that it's just like the purpose is the one thing that separates, mm. from your previous experience as well, the purpose and the, you know, I, I, the purpose and the passion. I know that, you know, I, as a disclaimer, you know, we, I've worked on more than one project with you in the, over the past 12 months and... and um, that that's the one thing that struck me about you and your team is is that sheer level of commitment to the cause, you know, and even relative to other non for profits that I've mm. worked with. To be to be honest, um, you sort of, you talked about the donor unifying you, but what effects does that level of passion have on the way you assess and make decisions relating to marketing? You know how you're spending that money. That it must be so. Uh, it's obviously very very critical to get that mm. right. Well. Yeah, absolutely. We're not funded by donations. Yeah. We're, we're government funded. But I think, I mean, David, I, honestly, this might sound a bit trite, but I like to think anywhere I've worked, I stop and think if this was my money, yeah. would I spend it like this? So that's something I try and apply to every place I've ever worked sometimes with different degrees of success. Yeah. But certainly at Lifeblood, I think, you know, the reality is um, we have some reasonable budgets, but we certainly don't have the sort of budgets that, that big corporates would have. So we talk about it as we have to think our ways out of problems rather than spend our ways out of problems. You know, I mean, in simple terms, 
you know, if brand awareness is a problem for you and you're a big corporate, you can easily solve that by just putting a ton of money into offline media and that will that will fix it for you. We have to be really practical and careful with mm. how we invest our money. So that's really first and foremost for us. Um, and I think we we have to really think again about are we getting the right message to the right people at the right time? Uh, we, we really need to make our dollars count, mm. I suppose. And, um, you know, again, targets for us are very, very front and centre, M- more so probably, again, than any industry I've ever worked in. We need to bring in uh, around 100,000 new donors every year to keep our panel at a level that it needs to be to support supply needs. So getting 100,000 new people every year to become a blood donor is quite hard. Mm. Uh, it's around 2,000 every week. That's a lot of people really when you think about what we're asking them to do. So I think we're thinking all the time about what's going to motivate people, which channels are right, how can we get the best value for things. So we need to make sure we're spending our money well to get the best results. I mean, I guess that's like any brand, right? But um, for us, the consequences, if we don't get it right. That's kind of what I was getting at with the (laughs) previous question. If we don't get it right. right. The, the stakes are really high. And it's not to have, it's, there's no disrespect to any corporate. Of course, stakes are always high, mm. right? And, and you quite rightly said, well, hang on, I always, I always think mm. about the money um, and corporate stakes are high and there's shareholders involved mm-hmm. and everything else. But the, we're talking about the national blood supply and that, that is actually, the stakes are high, let's be honest. And um, I think, um, you know, that's, it, it plays into a lot of what you've just said. Look, absolutely, and I think, um, for, you know, many times over the years I've joked, like probably lots of marketers have, you know, when you have one of those days where it's, you know, 8 o'clock at night and things aren't working and you know you're not going to fix something and you just say, you know what, I think we just need to down tools and go to the pub because it's not like we're saving babies here. Mm. But then all of a sudden you find yourself working for an organisation and you think, well, actually, we are actually saving babies, literally. So I think that's really front and centre for people. And, you know, all jobs are jobs and, you know, they're hard work and people put a lot of time into them. I think uh, particularly during uh, the lockdown times, most of us, we're based in Melbourne, so all of us were in, you know, the longest lockdown in the world and that took its toll on people in many different ways but I think for me and for many people at Lifeblood one of the things that really kept us focused and centred was our purpose knowing that the work we were doing was really important and it is genuinely helping people and like in many organisations you go and work in the store for a bit or you call Jack, you do, you know, you see how the frontline workers are doing things. You know, at Lifeblood, you know, where possible, um, and not everyone who works at Lifeblood can donate blood or wants to donate blood, but many of us do. And it's an amazing thing to be able to go into the centre and donate 
and see the work they do. It's a, it's a terrific mm. reminder. And we hear so many stories of uh, recipient stories, uh, just how blood donation, blood products has really not only saved their life but transformed their lives mm. and incredible donor stories. We have some donors who've made over 700 donations across their lifetime. <coughs> it's phenomenal. Yeah. The commitment we have from our donors is never-ending inspiration for us, I think. You know, we have the easy job in a way. We're just there to inspire people and try and make it easy for them. But really, you know, our donors are a constant source of motivation to us. So it's, it's a, you know, I mean, it sounds a bit um, naff maybe, but it really is genuinely a privilege to work for a place like this. Well, I want to take some, I mean, that's some great insights there. And I want to take some of what you've just said, particularly about the targets that you have to hit every week. Mm -hmm. And also what you've also just said about what you want to do in inspiring people, the donor stories and some of that. And I want to apply that to thinking about brand mm -hmm. and the role of brand mm. marketing and brand advertising mm -hmm. in, in NFPs, but but particularly um, in Lifeblood. I'm quite intrigued by the role of brand in this, mm -hmm. this category because if we think, I mean, it's a simple definition of brand as being sort of an intangible set of values in, held in the mind of the consumer, which which mm. provides perceptions and, mm. and inspires action. Um over the shorter or longer terms, it feels like, I mean, brand communications are just as valid in your sector and for lifeblood mm -hmm. as, as anywhere else. But there's massive tactical need to give donations. You've got to look, look at that from a budgetary point mm -hmm. of view. Um, how do you get those? Uh, how do you get that balance right? Um, how do you reconcile the longer term and the shorter term at lifeblood? Um, the whole notion of the long and the short of it is something that we've been thinking about for the last couple of years, and we're we're, we're, we're really trying to put that into action. I think probably for the last couple of years, when it comes to blood donation, we've been very short-term focused. Mm. We're always in market, um, you know, 365 days a year, we have marketing activity at play and we've been very focused on the ask and asking people to donate and wrapping different messages mm. around that. But ultimately, I think what we've realised is we need more than that and we need to really set ourselves up in the hearts and minds of people and really show our purpose and inspire people and what we're talking about at a brand level when it comes to blood donation is really trying to shift perception from us as being just about donation. So I guess that's pretty transactional mm. at that level and really about trying to be a brand that's about motivation. Um, so it's a challenge for us because we have these supply chain needs. We've got a fixed amount of money and we know we need to generate X number of new donors every week, X number of appointments. It's a big machine to keep running. So we need to move money over into upper funnel, which is less immediate and less tangible in its benefits. But I think increasingly as an organisation, we're really seeing the importance of that and, and we're trying to build storytelling around that internally to, to show that it's, 
it's not a slot machine. Marketing is not a slot machine and, and we can't just keep putting dollars in and expecting uh, a new donor to just spit out the other end without some form of diminishing returns kicking yes. in. So so that investment in the bigger storytelling, in being more emotional, in really trying to establish who we are as a brand and uh, what we stand for is, is critical for us. So at the moment, uh, there is a, a brand campaign which I've just seen today by the time this gets published, it will have launched you. So I feel comfortable talking talking about it. Yep. It's already going to be on air by the time this goes out. But um, um, I think it's a beautiful piece of communication. Mm. Um, and we might as well give it a plug. Yeah, sure. You know, why not? <laughs> yep. um, just top line for us the thought, given what you just said, mm-hmm. um, top line the thought process that went into building that piece of communication. So the creative platform is called the Lifeblood of Australia. One of the key pieces of strategic thinking behind that was incorporating our brand name Lifeblood into that campaign, which might sound really straightforward, but we rebranded three years ago. So we went from being the Red Cross Blood Service to Red Cross Lifeblood or Lifeblood as we call ourselves. And that was uh, a two-year process for us to get there. And uh, as you can imagine, changing your brand name takes a lot of work internally yeah. um, and internally, externally with all the markets. And, you know, it wasn't just um, because we thought it was a nicer name. It was really uh, a strategic piece of work to think about who we, who we want to be seen as in the future. And most people know Lifeblood for blood donation, but we're, we're actually involved in many other things, including uh, breast milk donation, organ transplant, microbiome, so lots of amazing, amazing work. But, of course, blood donation is the core Mm. of what we do. So the Lifeblood of Australia platform um, initially is going to be very focused on blood donation. One thing we wanted was to get our brand name front and centre because with um, a change in brand name, comes a decrease in awareness so we want that name to be front and center for people um, so building that into all of our comms is really important i think strategically when we're talking about blood donation again i've mentioned that we want to move from donation to motivation so in this platform what we're trying to do is really tap in to this idea that whilst blood donation is an act carried out by an individual, people are really motivated by their groups, their communities, their families, their teams. So this is what we're trying to show across this platform and, um, you know, what we're hoping over the course of the year is that we can really motivate people to come together and donate as groups Mm. to become a leader in their communities and corral people to become blood donors because we're actually looking at trying to grow our panel uh, more significantly than we have ever over the next 12 months. Uh, And really one of the key ways we think we'll do that is by tapping into groups. Mm. Well, for anyone who hasn't seen it, who's listening to this, please do look it up because it is it is a, a beautiful piece of communication and, and very thick threads of what you've just been talking about running through it and um, very motivational. And, uh, yeah, uh, great. And we, and we really wanted a warmth and a passion 
to come through in that. Blood donation has often been shown as, you know, people think about needles in arms and, of course, that's part of it. That's what happens. But, um, you know, that's a tiny bit of it. It's just a tiny little prick, as we say. It takes no time <laughs> at all. Uh, but it's it's that, um, you know, the, the warm glow that people get from being a blood donor is something that we wanted to show and... It's all. It's the me and it's the we. It's the great feeling you get as an individual, but it's it's also the feeling you get of being part of something bigger. You're mm. part of a community of amazing people who yes. give up their time to donate their blood throughout the year. So you know our blood donors are the lifeblood of Australia as well, and we really wanted to show the faces of different donors across Australia and that our donors are all ages, all types of people. It's a very diverse group of people. So I I think and hope that comes across strongly in in our films. It does indeed. And hopefully that group will become more diverse again. It's worth mentioning here. Um, I did see the other day that Mm -hmm. um, people like me, uh, in other words, British-born people who um, have previously, because of... um, uh, well, mad cow disease mad is, cows. Is, is the colloquial <laughs> name, but um, because of the risk of that, have not been able to give blood until now. Um, that is soon to become uh, a possibility, I think, in Australia. Absolutely. So it will be, it's it's imminent. So it should be in the next month or so that we'll be able to accept appointments from mad cows, um, as we <laughs> call them colloquially, but we- that's um, um, people who have lived in Britain for over six months, I think, between 1980 and 1996. Yes. So it excluded a huge number of people and um, um, we are very, very happy that um, that um, ban has been lifted. We don't make those decisions ourselves. Um, we work with the TGA, the Therapeutic Goods Administration. Uh, so it's it's a massive um um, piece of news for us and we are hoping to be able to welcome many, many Brits like you, yeah, David, indeed. soon. If you need me to come and hold your hand for your first donation, I'm, I'm happy to be your, your blood buddy. An offer I can't refuse. We're getting <laughs> off topic. Um, that's all really fascinating. I mean, really, really great insight. So thank you um, for that. I do want to change gear a little bit, though, and talk about... Um, PR. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that you have PR expertise mm-hmm. as well in your past. And I'm keen to get, and we're not necessarily talking about lifeblood here, um, we're just talking more generally. Given that you've you've done those roles, I think one of the most ironic things in this industry, and correct me where I'm, you disagree or where mm-hmm. I'm wrong here, but my perspective on it, my experience has been that PR in terms of its role in marketing does suffer a bit of an image problem sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find it relatively rare that PR is truly integrated with other parts of, of marketing teams, whether it be structurally, strategically, or, or across agency rosters. Am I right? Or what do you think about that? And, and, and if I am sort of on the right path with that, should there be more integration across discipline? Hmm. I tend to agree that it's often not very well integrated. And I think maybe that's the perception that both PR and marketing have of each other. And, yes, as you mentioned, I've worked in both. I started my career in PR. I literally didn't know what PR was, but I got invited to be a publicist and I worked it out really quickly. And over the years I've dipped in and out of marketing and PR roles, although in saying that 
really for the last decade I've been very, very focused on marketing-based roles. I think, you know, I really realised that people struggled with the relationship between the two. When I moved to Melbourne and I was talking to lots of recruiters and they were asking me questions like, well, you've worked in PR and you've worked in marketing, so which one are you? And I I always found it a bit odd. Um, You know, I I guess I felt like I was bilingual or Mm. something, but they were seen as these two different languages and for me really they're part of part of the the whole mix it's just a different angle and approach for it uh i think for me thinking about pr i like to think that the fact of worked in pr makes me better at working with pr people in my roles and potentially some of the traps marketers fall into is thinking we've got a new campaign coming up PR how can you PR our campaign and of course PR people will say an an ad is not a PR campaign so I think what I always try and do is involve our PR colleagues as early as possible and really get to the heart of what the story is we're trying to tell and we will often say it doesn't need to be matching luggage, Mm. but there's often a kernel of the story that we can pull out and I think, you know, my role is to work with the PR team to to think about how we can amplify that story best across their channels. Mm. Um, That it's all part of the same mix. I'm I'm often a bit baffled by why people I struggle uh, to but, see that. I mean, what I pull out of that is that phrase, it doesn't mm. have to be matching luggage. Mm. Do, you, do you think, I mean, does it come from defensiveness? Is it is it a bit of sort of territorial about it has to be, the idea has to be coming from the one place and, and never the two shall meet? It, it's felt like that to me in the past when I've worked across streams like this, but I'm I'm not sure. I think um, probably the reason I don't work in PR much these days is because... I just want to talk about things all the time and say everything and that's well, not always... Like you're here. <laughs> I've noticed that about you. <laughs> that's not always the best trait to have in a PR role yes. where they're really about um, being uh, a bit more selective perhaps with um, what information they share. David, I, I, I don't know, I, you know, and I'm not sure that we get it 100% right at Lifeblood. But, again, I think it does come back to that shared passion that we all have as an organisation. And, you know, we're very lucky that we have, you know, donor stories that we can always lean into. You know, for example, we're launching a great ad. It does use um, paid talent. COVID made that a necessity for us over the last couple of months. But we can work really closely with our PR team to find real recipients and donors to help bring those stories to life across earned yes. channels. So, again, I, I don't know if we get it right all the time, but, um, you know, we, we certainly have a lot to work with at Lifeblood. On the right track. Well, final gear change. You mentioned the C word a minute ago, COVID. <laughs> lovely, yep. lovely C word, COVID. Um, so, look, I mean, it's getting to where I'm almost 
Yeah, actually, obviously, a few months ago, it was, it was I was asking more people about COVID, but you know, we, we're still, despite the fact it's not in the news cycle so much anymore, mm. we're still very much in, mm-hmm. in in COVID, the COVID era. Um, and I think you know, it is particularly interesting from your perspective, first in terms of lifeblood, but also, of course, because of the way in which people need to donate. It's mm-hmm. time, and it's going somewhere, and, and it's exposure. Um, how has lifeblood? been affected over the pandemic period i mean and i'm positive or negative i mean how how have how has it played out for you well i guess the headline is we've managed to maintain blood supply across the country for the entire time which is phenomenal it has been a series of challenges for the last two years that continue and i think that's I would struggle to think of any business that's not still grappling with COVID challenges. Certainly when large parts of Australia were in lockdown and, you know, I live in Melbourne, I was in lockdown for, you know, large tranches of 2020 and 2021, as were many other Melbournians, and many states were in and out of lockdown as well. That was a struggle for us. We had to adapt all of our comms, all of our messaging, uh, really different obstacles, different barriers for people to overcome. One of the big messages we needed to get out to people was that donating blood was a legitimate reason to leave the house. So in addition to the four essential reasons, blood donation was one of those because we are an essential service. So during lockdown periods, we did pretty well because for those people who are listening who remember lockdowns, I think I've tried to block them out, but you would look for reasons, you know, your hour of walking around outside to walk the dog or exercise, you could legitimately go to your local blood donation centre to donate. So when there's nothing else to do, that's a great thing. I think in periods where we came out of uh, of lockdown, it, it's sort of been a little bit drop, more right? of a struggle yeah. because all of a sudden people have all of these conflicting priorities and they want to get back out into the world and see their friends and start travelling and going places and thinking about things. I would say probably the biggest challenge for us was in January this year when Omicron really kicked off across the country because Whilst we'd been in lockdowns before, we'd never really experienced high levels of people actually having COVID, whereas in January, all of a sudden, it exploded and I think it seemed to come out of nowhere for most people. So we had staff having to furlough, so uh, less staff means less people to, um, to take blood donations. We had our donors having to furlough and close contacts, having to furlough. So what that meant was lots and lots of last-minute cancellations, so on the day or the day before the donation, and they're really hard for us to fill at short notice. And that is something that continues to be a real challenge for us. So for to, to put that into perspective, in normal times we would need around... 2.2 
appointments to equal one successful collection because we know that for a variety of reasons people have to cancel and various things happen along the way. That's gone up to 2.5 because we're seeing so many more last-minute cancellations. So that creates a big challenge for us across the whole business and in marketing terms that means we need to generate more appointments. We need to put more appointments in the funnel to make sure we're getting enough collections. So it's a big challenge for us. We are talking about it all the time and it's it's not a question of people's lack of motivation or commitment, but people's, you know, when people get COVID, obviously they can't come in. But I think we're really starting to try and understand the consumer mindset post-COVID and the world has changed fundamentally. So we're now asking ourselves whether we will ever get back to that state. Maybe this is the new normal and I think this is probably what a lot of businesses are talking about, that that this isn't a bungee rope that just springs back to where it was that we need to take stock of how the lay of the land now and that's something we're, we're really trying to explore and, you know, people's need to have control mm. over their own lives, um, to feel connected to their own communities and how we need to engage our consumers differently. I also think it's very pertinent to what we've just been talking about and um, about filling the top of the, the funnel, mm-hmm. about not putting yourself in a position of diminished returns about finding people who might be new to it will actually be more motivated than less likely to cancel because they're coming into it fresh Mm -hmm. all of that stuff really it it makes the role of brand and top of funnel even more important um absolutely and you know for us it's a balancing act of trying to get new donors in we need those new donors and they need more nurturing along the way in early stages uh, and maintaining our really loyal donors as well. We talk about habit formation a lot in in the context of blood donation and everyone would be familiar with theories around habit formation and it's usually if you can do something repeated over a period of about three weeks, that's enough to form a habit. Great with something like exercise, quitting smoking, those sorts of things. Blood donation, whole blood donation, you can only do every 12 weeks. Mm. So it's, it's a challenge yes. to form a habit. You've got a lot of challenges, haven't uh-huh. you? Really Sounds do. like a really hard job, <laughs> I say. Uh, it's so, you know, forming a habit with our blood donors is, a, is another thing we talk about all of the time. So maintaining connection with them in between is really important for us. So getting that new donor in is is one of the hurdles. So that's a big tick box when we get them in the chair and they've successfully donated, getting them to come back mm-hmm. a second time is is a really key challenge for us because we know once we get them back a second time, we're more likely to get them back a third time and once that happens, it becomes, it becomes a little bit more habitual. Yeah, interesting. Mm. Inter- really interesting dynamics. Well, look, I think we're almost, we're almost going to be out of time. Um, in fact, we almost are out of time, but... Um, really fascinating commentary on such an important organization like all joking aside it really is and um, give blood everyone please you know. <laughs> yes I'm thank you spo- you're doing my plug I'm not, for yeah, I'm, me. Not, I'm not supposed to do sales on this thing but yeah hey look you know give blood mm-hmm. i mean it's a, it's it's obviously um 
it's obviously um, incredibly important. I wish you all the best with certainly the forthcoming, but when this gets broadcast, the brand campaign that will be out The now there. incredibly successful the now new incredibly campaign successful. we've launched. Yeah, exactly right. And uh, please, please do, please do see that. Um, uh, one more question for you, I guess. Um, you talked earlier on about how great your barbecues are, given given what you do. Where's my invite? That's my question. <laughs> Anytime you want. Perhaps I get one after you've held my hand at one of the donor centres or it's, something like it's that. It's actually a big joke in my in my household and through, through my entire life. Typically, there are photos of men at the barbecue turning the steaks and the sausages, and this has never been my experience. I'm always the one with the apron cooking the sausages. Oh God, and, yeah, no, and I'm, yeah. I'm in the background with a glass of champagne. Um, well, David, if you can find yourself to Melbourne's um, inner north from wh- wherever <laughs> it is in the deep <laughs> south that you live, Scary. you're very welcome. All right. Okay. Thanks very much, Jude. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much, David. Mm-hmm.